0: Welcome to the Kerry Church podcast. For more information
1: regarding Kerry Church, visit www.kerry.isn.au.
2: Good morning. How cool was that? How cool was that? Every one of those every one of those people getting baptized is product of God's work in and through our youth and young adults and also children's ministry. Hey, my name's Dave Kilpatrick. If I've not met you, I'd love to. I serve here as the um, senior pastor here at uh, Harrester, and it is my joy to introduce you to uh, two awesome individuals. We have here uh, Pastor Nick Harris and Pastor Ben O'Reilly, and they are the youth and young adult pastors. And they just do a ridiculous amount of stuff in um, and around this place. And a lot of a lot of what you're seeing there with people being baptised is the fruit and product of their ministry. So, g'day, guys.
3: Welcome. Hey. hey. Thanks.
2: Great to be here. Um, so, whenever I walk past the youth and young adult stuff when you're doing it on Friday nights, there's just lots and lots of noise. You seem to have lots and lots of fun. What do you actually do?
4: Not much. No, we, we do heaps of great stuff. We thought it would be actually good fun to show you. So let's run a game. Um, cool. Can I grab, I need a couple of volunteers. Does anyone here want to play a game and there is legitimate Starburst on the line? Oh, yeah, come on. It's cold. Any, you anybody want to play up? a game? No volunteers. Come In on. that case, Pastor Pete, could I borrow you? Um, Jules, could I borrow you? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Let's uh, give these guys a big hand as they come on stage. And let's get some game music happening because games work better with music. So uh, we'll get some of that going on behind us. Excellent. Now, um, Jules and Pete, could you stand over this side by this stool? And uh, Nick and Dave, could you stand by those stools there? I'm just suddenly going to pitch these guys' competitiveness against each other. Jules, you can hold this bucket here. Dave, here you go. Here's a bucket of ping pong balls for you. Pastor Nick, here's a bucket of ping pong balls for you. I did not prime these pastors for this at all. So they're all just going, what the heck is going on? Now, this game is called Buckethead. What they've got to do is they've got to try, Nick and Dave have got to try and throw as many ping pong balls as they can into these green buckets. The catch is Pete and Jules are going to put them on their heads. And the team that has the most ping pong balls in the end are going to win the Starbucks. So remember, you guys are playing for Pastoral Pro. Hey, I haven't said to go. Hey, well, well, well. You guys are playing for sugar intake, you guys are playing for pride. Are you ready? You guys will have 20 seconds to get as many as you can without walking up. Ready, set, go. Ah, Pete, you got to keep it on your head, mate. Ah, Jules has got the good action going. Ah, these guys are both great. Eight seconds, guys. Oh, man, Jules and Nick are flying, but Pete's picking up as well. Three, two, one. Stop throwing. <laughs> All right. Let's just count up how many we have here. We've got Jules. Go eight, nine, seven, seven, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, seven, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, seven, 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 eight, nine, eight, nine, eight, ten. I think Nick and Jules are the winners. Let's give them a huge clap. Here you guys go. Uh, Look at that. Nick doesn't want to eat his sugar. That's just an example. We run one of those every week uh, as they're coming in for the sermon just to, you know, get them, you know, excited because sermons are exciting. Uh, And it's just one of our ways that we use to, as they all walk in, uh, teenagers are just absolutely hyperactive and to get them sitting down looking at the stage, it's a great way for us to get things moving on a Friday night.
2: Cool. Uh, you did have on the run sheet, running a game, you didn't actually tell me that um, Surprise. you had forced me to lose against Nick. We might have reviewed the run sheet. <laughs> hey, um, Nick, you've been, you've been leading this ministry since 2005. Yeah. And um, what, I, what, I, what I love to hear is the stories. And uh, do you want to share some of the stories that uh, you've had the privilege of being a part of as this has evolved?
3: Sure. And look, I've primed the guys down the back with some of them, or actually Ben's probably going to control it for me. Um, Youth ministry is a wonderful thing. It's very different to a Sunday morning. When we ask for volunteers, everyone's screaming, pick me, pick me. You guys are so placid and sitting there. It's scary, and it's a totally different forum. Same stage, really different part of the family. And I guess when I think of family, I do think of the journey, the journey that people go through. Um, And we've been doing that for quite some time now. And so I think of someone like Alex mcneil Windle. I think you might hear that name and go, who the heck is Alex? Well, uh, you'll see that there's two pictures of Alex behind me. Uh, The one is Alex probably when he's about 15. And to be honest, Ben and I spent ages looking for appropriate pictures of Alex. Um, It did take us quite some time. In fact, many of you won't remember that uh, we have youth ministry on a Friday night, and we have two arms to our leadership team. We've got the crew, which is a bunch of student volunteers and our senior leaders, committed Christians over the age of 18, working with Children's Check, all the rest of it to keep everyone safe. But we take our crew on board based on just this coming, the sense of belonging, being around. And that began because I had a group of teenagers after school whose parents didn't want to pick them up. And I totally understand why. They used to climb over the school roofs, and I, the team started with me going up to this group of boys, Alex being one of them, saying, hey, look, this is private property. I either call the police, or you come stack chairs with me, and you come cook food with me, and they were like, "Ah, oh, let's do that. That's way better than going to the police station. And that was the beginning of our youth ministry. Alex was one of them, and I remember he'd come to youth ministry. This doesn't happen anymore, but he used to come with like these crazy claw things, and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, that's a weapon. I'm going to take those, thank you very much. Um, sitting still wasn't this thing. We used to um, do this thing after preaching where we would uh, try to talk to the youth. We still do that. But if you go back a few years, let's say 12, the youth used to try to jump out the windows to get away from us talking about God. That was Alex. But the second picture is a picture of him today. Um, Not this crazy teenager who, I won't lie, I did say, God, could you not give us just more normal teenagers? Teenagers that sit, listen, think, engage, just want to talk. I knew they existed because they're in my class at school. I didn't realize that the only reason they sat and listened was because there's disciplinary procedures in place. But if you pray that prayer, you're praying the worst prayer possible. Because if you've seen Alex around, that's a picture of him preaching on Friday night. I said to Dave just the other day, it's really embarrassing. This guy is a phenomenal speaker. And I share the same stage as him. And all the youth know, he's the better one to listen to. You've seen him at carols, you've seen him at Easter shows, his voice is powerful. Powerful not because he's a great singer, but powerful because he is a man of God, spirit-filled, walking through life, just connecting people with his story, a story where God has deeply impacted and transformed him. From a child I wish would not have been at youth ministry, to a leader whom if he were to leave, I might resign. Second picture is one of Steph. I met her when she was in year eight. That's the younger picture. She was in my class. Comes from an unchurched background and came on a Friday night because her friends were going. Only reason she came was because her friends were going. I checked it out, found out it was fun. No other reason did she attend youth ministry than it was fun. Jumped forward four or five years, and because it was fun, she came on a camp. We went jet skiing, we went skin diving, we went caving, and it was still fun. Kept coming on a Friday night, we played bucket head, we ate weird food, and we'd run around. She kept coming because it was fun. But at some point, all of a sudden, she finds herself listening to the same message over and over again about this, this, this man who descended, or this God who descended from uh, heaven into earth as a man who died for her, for everything that she had ever done or could do. And at some point, that message penetrated her heart and transformed her life. She's now one of our senior leaders. You can see her in that picture there, serving at Catalyst, a statewide movement that we run that's making a difference across youth ministries all over um, the state. And Steph's also a leader at Forestell in the children's ministry, bringing up the next generation of leaders. In fact, when I think of the stories, I don't have pictures for all of these, but I think of our sound guy today, Austin Salisbury. He's one of our music coordinators at this church. You've seen him on stage leading worship. I remember when I met him. He was in year eight. I was serving the camp that I wasn't supposed to be at, and he came up to my group, and he's like, I'm in your group. And I looked at him, and he looked super trendy. And I was like, I'm so arrogant. In my mind, I was like, you just wanna be in my group because I'm cool, and you're cool. And I'm like, I'm calling you on this. You're not in my group. And I tried to kick him out of my group. Turns out, he was like super sweet, super innocent, one of the good kids, and uh, he was supposed to be in my group. And I got to know him, and I got to teach him for multiple years, and I'll never forget, one day after class, he comes up to me, at this stage, not church, not attending church, he goes, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading v- Revelation. Revelations, I've got some questions. And I'm like, oh yeah. And he goes, starts hitting me with these questions and I decide, I'm going to stop you there. Here's your answer. Give him the short answer and here's what you're going to do. Stop reading Revelations and go read this book. And point him to another book in the Bible because that's just much, much easier to deal with. Remember that was probably the first time in youth ministry that someone had been totally disappointed with an answer I gave. I think of so many youth leaders. I think of like a Rebecca Cop. You might not have seen her as much, but again, coming from an unchurched family, just spends hours upon hours upon hours uh, behind the screens over there for major events, making sure that as we're worshiping God, if you don't know the words off by heart, which I don't know the words off by heart, that they are on the screen for us. There are so many different things that youth leaders have been doing over the years, but it doesn't begin with them up on the stage. In fact, Alistair Cochran, um, his wife Kira leads worship. He's another guy in the sound team. The first time he came to youth ministry, I got this phone call from his father. Getting a phone call at youth ministry from a parent is never good, but I won't forget that phone call. The phone call went like this. said, hey, I just want to check that my son's with you and not out on the drugs or the booze or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, I got like 200 kids. Uh, yeah, he's just there 20 meters away. No booze, no drugs. We all good? And dad's like, yep. And I'm like, cool. He became an intern in our church, continues to serve as a leader in our church. And uh, those are the stories of the past, but we also have stories of the present. Uh, Last year, there was this boy that started coming to youth ministry. I don't know why he started coming. I presume there was a girl he liked. In fact, I'm fairly certain there was a girl he liked, and I think he still likes her. She doesn't like him. Uh, School holidays come. School holidays is normally a bit of an issue for us because uh, it's a great break. Time off. Awesome. But we don't get to see our youth. It's the only time we don't get to see our youth. And I thought, well, we're gonna have to build momentum back with this boy. And he turns out he's in my class. And uh, about week one, term one, so really early in the piece, pulls me aside. I'm thinking, how do you have questions about class already? I mean, like I've barely started teaching. And he goes, Hey, I'm I'm reading the Bible, and I got a few questions. I'm going, What? We haven't even started youth. That's from like last year. And he goes, Yeah, yeah. And he hits me with all these questions, great questions, and he says, Look, I'm doing this thing, I'm reading the Bible in a year. And so at this point, I'm a paid pastor. And outside of preparing messages, I'm like, oh, he's probably reading more scripture than I am. And He's not even sure if he's a Christian at that stage. Jump forward a few months. Obviously, we're at the middle of term two. He comes to our evening congregation now. He's brought his mom and his little sister along. I don't know where his story ends. We just started teaching him how to do sound. But if we jump forward a few years, my suspicion is that that boy who started coming at the end of last year, who's asking questions at the start of this year, my suspicion is he'll be serving this church family uh, this room of the church family behind a sound desk or perhaps in another ministry. There's uh, the prayer room. I don't know if you've booked a slot. If you haven't booked a slot yet, um, super easy. Just go to the website and write your name in the hour that suits you best. I took the youth leadership team there on Friday night. Uh, we prayed whole way before youth ministry, and then even though it wasn't our slot, we kept praying through the night, uh, on and off. So the youth leaders were with the youth. We just had this little rotation thing happening. But at the start, I made all the youth leaders go in there and then pray, and after we have been praying for a period of time, I said, all right, now you can stay if you want, or you can go. And this girl, one of our leaders, again, from an unchurched family, uh, comes for fun, finds God, now on our staff team, comes up to me and says, I, I need some ministries. I'm like, okay, cool. She asks me some stuff, starts crying, because that's what happens sometimes when you're praying. And I'm like, great, we got tissues, I can deal with this. So I'm praying with this girl, and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. Time goes by, and I've become aware that we've come to the end of, I guess, that, that period. But i become very aware that I'm in a room alone with a girl. I'm like, oh, that's not good. This is just not the way things are supposed to be in youth ministry. This is how pastors get fired. And I'm about to walk out with this girl when I suddenly realize there's another person in the room. If you've been in that room, you'll realize on the right-hand side, as you face the doorway, is the cross. And there's this young girl, 15 years of age, on her knees, just crying. This girl started coming to youth ministry this year. Joined our leadership team because she asked to. Don't know why she asked to. She's from an unchurched family. Turns out I wasn't in that room alone. Turns out there's a girl who doesn't go to church yet, who I don't think is a Christian yet, who spent more time than all the Christian leaders and all the secular kids in our leadership team praying on her knees. And as I walked out with this other girl, she stood up, saw me. I saw the tears on her face, looked away. She looked away, not me. And uh, grabbed tissues. And I don't know what God was doing in that space. But I guess what I'm really, really trying to get across here is that when God does something in the youth, youth ministry, He does something in the church. You see, the reality is the story of the past is the story of the present. What God did in the past in the youth ministry in that family, He's doing today in this family. Guys like Alex are leading this church. Steph leads this church. We're one church family, many rooms. You might not always see what they're doing on a Friday, but you definitely experience some of that. And what God's doing right now in the youth ministry is impacting this family. One last story. I go to children's ministry sometimes because that's the age of my daughter. She's two years old. And uh, I'm just blown away when I walk into the rooms there. There's fantastic ministry happening with all the children. But one of the things that reminds me that we're one family is that when I look in some of the rooms, there is the leaders of my age and above, and then there's the youth and young adult leaders in there. There's a girl in the youth ministry started coming last year. I walked into children's ministry, and there she is in that room leading my young daughter comes from an unchurched family, unchurched background, comes to the evening congregation or comes to the morning when she's on children's ministry. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know why God does what he does. But when God moves in the youth ministry, he moves the entire church. If we open our eyes, if we look to it, we see it. Change is all about. They're the stories.
2: Fantastic. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't we're not just telling stories about a changed life, we're talking, telling stories about changed generations because that person's life has changed and their children will change and their children's children will change and the impact that this ministry is having is extraordinary. Ben, you've got ping pong ball games but there's a clearly a, a strong evangelical um, evangelistic focus uh, in the ministry. What is the the purpose and vision of Ignite?
4: Yeah, so uh, we don't just play these ping pong games just because we think it's fun, and we need to fill time. We, there's actually a purpose behind everything that we do. And the underlying vision statement uh, that we run with is empowering generations of young people to become lifelong believers, followers, and disciple makers of Christ. And uh, that pretty much sums up everything that we do, because we are empowering generations of young people. Like we just said, there are, there are groups that come through Every year there's a new group that comes through, and we, we realize that those groups, as they go through, uh, if we get a lot of traction with the year group, they, they come through, they become young adult leaders in our church, and then they start feeding back into the next group that comes through. And, and that's one of the things we really love, being able to see people who have come through our ministry, have grown up, the Stephs, the Alexes, hopefully these other new people that we were just talking about as well, are now sowing back into the youth that are coming through in high school now. And so that idea of empowering generations to serve each other uh, it's just something that we really live for because Nick and I, we, we like to think that we're still young and cool, but uh, I'm sorry, Nick, but we're both over 30 and we know that we are not trendy anymore. We know that we can't connect with youth on that close level as much as we used to be able to, which is why we are so reliant on our young adults that have just come through. Uh, our young teenagers want to be like them. They don't want to be like me. Uh, they want to be like them. So we are just really empowering these generations to serve the ones underneath them. And we want to see them to be generations empowered to be lifelong believers, not just ones who come along to youth and they say, yes, I'm a Christian for the three years that they're with us because they wanted that girl, uh, and then disappear. No, we want them to become lifelong believers. So, they, they come to our youth group, they join our church, and they actually get this relationship with God that is going to stick with them for life. That's, that's our dream. And we say um, believers, followers, and disciple makers, because it's not just about ticking a box saying, yes, I believe in God. Uh, Yeah, the belief part is huge, but we also want them to follow God. We don't want them to just say, yes, I normally know God. We want that to impact their entire life. And then we also say they're disciple makers because it's not just leaving it at yourself. It's about going on and then actually replicating what you've just seen in your own life and spreading that good news to the other people that you see around you. Uh, So we're also having a mission opportunity in our own backyard. As people come through, come to know God, they also get to turn around and go, hey, you guys, come along with me. I've discovered this great thing about Jesus. You need to know about it as well. And, and that's just the thing that underpins everything we do. So, we Ignite, as we approach these uh, students, as Nick is talking to them as a teacher in his classrooms, as we preach at them, as we throw ping-pong balls at each other, it's all about building a relationship so we can actually introduce them to Jesus and get them to understand God loves them, God sees them as they are, and He loves them, and He wants them to be with Him. That's uh, something that just undergirds everything that we do. Fantastic. And, and Ben, in, the, in, that, in that context of that, what percentage... Of the kids you get, do you reckon would be unchurched? A lot. Uh, <laughs> a lot. I couldn't put a figure on it. Uh, I'm going to. Let's just guess. 75 percent are unchurched. It's way, just way over half. Of it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them.
2: Look, that is an awesome vision, Nick. You got. You, you have 200 kids in here. Sometimes, awesome vision. What does that actually look like practically?
3: Practically, um, chaos. <laughs> Organized madness. Um, this simple reality is, is that um, I guess Ben's talking about the vision to win and empower generations of youth to be lifelong followers, believers, disciple makers of Christ. Um, we've set out to have an attractional ministry. We want youth to come in the first instance because they feel like this is a space that they can be themselves in. So we talk about the three B's, um, belong, believe, behave, uh, something I stole from Brian years ago. Um, don't know where he got it from or if he made it up, but belong, belonging is really what undergirds our ministry. So when you talk about the structure of youth ministry, on any given Friday night, we do the same things. There's a picture behind me. Um, there's been a few pictures scrolling through while Ben was speaking. That's of discussion groups. And if we just go backwards, I guess, through them, um, we've, we, we always do the same things. There's, there's always activities on a Friday night. It could be the first thing we do. could be the last thing we do, but there's always some sort of activity. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. In fact, part of belonging is having the choice Um, or the freedom to choose whether you will or not engage in something. There's always preaching. Everyone has to be involved in the preaching. I wish I could find a way to make them listen while we're preaching. Um, Let's just say that you guys are amazingly quiet. When I'm on the stage and it's a Friday night, uh, they'll ask questions while you're preaching. You're like, man, this is not a discussion forum. Or you'll hear them. You'll tell a joke, and then they'll tell a counter joke. And you're like, great. Now they're laughing while you're trying to tell something serious. But we're always preaching. There's always activities, preaching, there's always discussion groups. So we only preach for about 10, 12 minutes, and then we break off into these groups. And it's phenomenal when you suddenly get somewhere between 150 and 200 is our normal number. And uh, you break them across this whole auditorium. And so when I say that, uh, 150, 200, that is 200 is the normal number for a Sunday morning. Um, So Friday night, Sunday morning, same. Um, Except we break them down with our youth leaders, and just all across this room, in groups of five to, unfortunately, 30 sometimes, you just have these discussions happening. In fact, uh, timing's my strong point. Uh, there was this group, and uh, we didn't have our leader there. Um, someone over the age of 30, phenomenal leader, and normally controls this group, um, was away sick. And so I was stepping in to help that leader in that group. But something happened, so I had to go sort that other issue out. And we had this young boy in there, and he's like, don't worry, Harris, I got this. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if you're Christian yet. And uh, I look at the start of this thing happening. There's about 25 year seven boys, and it's mayhem. I'm thinking, it doesn't matter whether he's Christian or not. I can't do anything to save that group. They're just going to, like, be crazy. I walk off, solve my problem. I come back, and the group's starting to talk. Another issue happens. Youth ministry's weird. So I go to that one. I'm thinking, oh, at least they're not burning this building down. And uh, we we only do discussion groups for about 15 minutes, and then they have the choice to stay and keep talking or to leave. That choice had already been up. I came back to that group thinking, why are these boys still here? What are they doing? And I suddenly find this this year 10 leader, who I'm not too sure where his faith is at. um, I think he does believe sitting in the middle of these boys, and the boys have all huddled in close so they can actually hear properly, and he's just talking about his relationship with God and the difference that that makes. And all 25-ish of these boys are listening. And I'm going, as a teacher with 10 years' experience, I don't know how I was going to get that group under control. And this 15-year-old, year year 10 boy has got this whole group around there. Just next to that group is another group um, of girls, about seven girls, and they got all close around their leader, probably because the boys were noisy at the start. And that group's still just happening, just talking about God. Now, many other groups have dispersed, um, but this is both the norm and the exception. The exception is how young those leaders are. The norm is that there's always people around talking. Every night, structure, activities, food, optional, anything to eat if you don't want to, sermon, the real food, and uh, discussion. That's what we do. And be- belonging's the, the thing that underpins everything. We want a space where you can come and bring your friends, bring your squad, as they often call it, and just be yourself. As you come and belong, belief happens. And behavior... I'm not going to preach to people how to behave. That's God's job. And so that's the way we do things.
2: Awesome. Another, just another story. So there's this kids not only from Kerry um, College but from um, Canningvale College and others. And and Eliana, uh, my daughter, she's in year 10 and she's one of the, the, the group leaders. And she's got a, a bunch of year sevens. And I think Nick had spoken on what does it look like to follow Jesus or what would it look like if you're looking for Jesus or something. And they're having a discussion in the group. And this little year seven... Girl from Canningvale College says to um, to Elias, she's leading the group. You know, I, I actually don't know what I think about God and about Jesus yet. But if I ask this question in Canningvale College, I'll probably get beaten up. Can, can you just continue to have these discussions with us? Can we continue to ask these questions? So I've got my daughter having the opportunity to have those discussions with a kid she'd never meet, and saying effectively, "Hey, I, I don't know what I think, but can you can you continue?" Can you continue to give us a space where I can ask questions about Jesus, whereas in 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 my normal place, I'm uh, I'm gonna get beaten up. Um, You got you guys. That's an enormous focus on sort of Friday nights ignite. What what are you doing more generally for the youth and young adults?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, So yeah, Friday is more of a an attractional evangelical place uh, where we attract all those. Unchurch people in. Uh, But that's not the only thing that we do. We also run what we call Fusion, which is our Sunday night uh, service. So, after you guys have all gone home, we all come in and then we'd run church again. And that's all aimed predominantly at young adults and and also the younger youth as well that want to come along to it. And that's, while Ignite is about, I can't even say evangelism, while while Friday's about, I I said it and I can't say it again, Agilism, Evangelism. Well, Friday's about that. Sunday is more about uh, growing people. So, we, we invite people to know Jesus on Friday. On Sunday, we, we try to go deeper and try to encourage people in their discipleship journey. Uh, we are a church community, much like you guys come to church on a Sunday morning to be with the church family. That's what we encourage our youth and young adults to do as well on a, on a Sunday night. Uh, so, that's one way that we do that. That's where we get the whole family together. We also break off into smaller groups of, of pods. Uh, where that is going to uh, Nick is going to talk about that in a second for me. But uh, pods is like our small groups, but Fusion is a place where we can uh, speak into people's lives. Because on Friday we only speak for ten minutes, and the Friday night sermon is pretty much God exists, deal with it. Or it might be uh, God is actually in love with you; you need to respond to this. Or uh, God actually thinks something about this. Or it's it's a really one point sermon that is just really basic. Fusion is where we can actually start to get into the meat of the Bible and the meat of faith and actually starting to say, okay, you've decided to become a Christian, or you're still checking this out. Let's talk about what this uh, looks like in the real world, what this looks like on a deeper level, uh, and we can actually start exploring those sort of things together in community.
3: I mean, if you're thinking fusion, you've probably heard both Ben and I preach from the stage at some point. That message will be identical on a Sunday evening, save one thing. I would have changed my examples from marriage and children uh, and retirement to examples of university and first jobs and dating. That's really the only difference between a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service. So the Friday night is to win. It's evangelical. It's attractional. Sunday night's all about equipping and empowering empowering youth and young adults to be difference makers in the world they live in, both locally and abroad. And Ben mentioned pods. Pods, uh, I guess, in mainstream church around the world, you call them home groups, small groups, uh, Bible study, Uh, We call them pods, places of discussion, where you pray together, observe the Bible, and then do something about it. And we have somewhere between 15 and 20 um, pods running every year, from youth ministry through to young adult pods. Uh, We cover most of the age ranges from year seven all the way up. Every now and then we have a hole. In fact, we've got some holes at the moment. We've got some year sevens looking for a pod. We've got no leaders. I'm looking at a bunch of leaders, just saying. Um, But when it comes to pods, it is phenomenal what's happening there, because for some of them, you get a bunch of people together who actually want to know about the Bible. For some of them, they come out of Friday night and they're expecting something fun again. And then they find themselves in a Bible study. And uh, you never quite know how a pod's going to go. And you'd think, I've been teaching at this college for just 10 years now. You'd think I know which door opens to which room. But I just remember, it was this year actually, I walked into a, um, I don't know if it was a year 7 or a year 8 girls pod. Either way, as a male, I don't belong in a year 7 or year 8 girls pod open the door, and uh, it's lunchtime. And what I found was um, our Nat, our intern, female intern, we've got three interns, James, Nat, and Beau, um, in the youth ministry, uh, Beck and Amy in the children's ministry. Nat's sitting on the ground with her Bible open. That's exactly what I expect from a youth leader. What I didn't expect to find at a lunchtime at school was a bunch of your seven or eight girls in a circle round her, Bibles open, quiet. Um, and I'm like, this is just as good as any classroom anywhere around the school, but it's lunchtime. I don't understand. Uh, I walked out of there, and uh, later on, I apologized to Nat for interrupting, because I was like, in my mind, I was like, I probably just walked in the only quiet moment. She's like, no, it's all good. That's normal. And I said, where'd the girls get the Bible? She's like, oh, just spoke to the beliefs and values guys and the chaplain. We just pulled some together and gave them to the girls. I've now heard every single week, the girls are like, see you at pod, right? It's still happening Monday lunch or whatever day it is. Forget the day. It's crazy. Or just this Friday, in the prayer room, there's this Year 9 Boys pod run by Ali Smith, who uh, comes from an unchurched background through the youth ministry, and Shun, Shun sets the chairs out for you guys every week and has been doing that probably for the last four or five years. Um, They run this Year 9 Boys pod, it's crazy hectic, and they went to the prayer room, Now I'm thinking, thank goodness it's me and the youth leaders going in afterwards, because I can fix it up before Jules finds out. I went in after those guys, no odor, perfectly clean, I'm thinking, did they even go? I was talking to some boys on Friday night. Two of them were in that pod. The one guy was just telling me how phenomenal the prayer time was, and the other guy was like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. Now, the other guy was saying, I wasn't expecting that at all. I was looking at what he's wearing. He was wearing a Deadpool shirt. Now, if you don't know, Deadpool's a movie. It's got a high rating. Children should not watch it. Parents should not watch it. And he clearly had seen it and even was wearing the clothing. Now, I'm sitting there talking to these boys, a group of about 12 of them, went praying, and they're saying how good it is. And I'm looking at the shirt he's wearing going, this is your world that you live in, and this is the world that you live in. And God is intersecting with what's happening. And again, I can't just say it, when God does something in the youth ministry, the whole church, the whole body of Christ changes. I don't know that story ending for those boys, but what I do know is they're in a place of discussion where they pray together, observe the Bible, and do something about it. And so, if you've got time, sign up to lead one, because we need more leaders for that. Um, if you've got time, pray for one, because this is our family that we're praying for.
2: Amen. You know. um, just, just to clarify... It's a Christian school, but it's a Christian school that exists for mission. And probably about 70, perhaps a little bit more, of the kids in the school are unchurched. So a lot of these kids in the pods have got no, 70%, uh, not 70, uh, 70% of the kids are unchurched. So a lot of the kids in these pods are unchurched kids. The tragedy for me would be if we hear all this and we think, okay, that's, that's, that's what happens there, and this is what happens here. These, this is part of us. And part of my, my prayer is what is happening here settles into our hearts and we have a sense of responsibility to say actually this is, this is what we have commissioned these people to do. This is what God is doing in and through this church in this community of people. So as I ask this question, just, just allow that to settle in. Nick, Ben, as the church, What can we do to stand with, stand behind, and support the ministry that God is doing through you and the other leaders in our youth and young adults?
3: Um, How can you support us is the question. And um, the most logical answer, the easiest answer is pray for us. Um, Seriously pray for us. Protection. We need protection. Protection. Our leaders need protection. Our leaders need uh, to be unified by the mission and protected from the opposition. So pray for us. We need more leaders, desperately need more leaders. Um, Our ratios legally are good, but spiritually, um, I just wonder. I tell these stories, and uh, they're fantastic stories, they're powerful stories, but I wonder if we had more leaders, um, how much longer I could keep you sitting here telling stories. Um, I've got heaps more to tell, but there should be more to choose from. We need leaders desperately. Um, And perhaps you could be a leader, and this will be my last story. I'm not going to talk at all after this, I hope. Um, It can, often, youth ministry can be the space where you go, man, I'm not young enough, I'm not energetic enough, I'm not cool enough. Um, Yeah, you're not. Deal with it. That doesn't mean you don't come to youth ministry. We had... uh, End of 2015, start of 2016, a lady who is older than us um, asked me about signing up to youth ministry, and I'm an amazing leader, because I didn't know how to say this is not going to work for you, so I said, hey, Pastor Ben, you should onboard this person, and uh, Ben started doing the onboarding process, and oh, it's happening, okay, so I decided to get alongside and talk to her a bit and all the rest of it, and I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, part of me felt like saying, do you know what, best spot for her would be to be in the Cooking room, just just, just to do the food. Uh, That would be a really good practical outcome for us. And I'm like, oh man, this is you're so sexist and you're ageist, man. This is a problem. So I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. This lady's come onto our youth leadership team, and a year on, um, she's been leading. Before our team gets together, we do a devotion, we pray together, and then we do a briefing. She leads many of our devotions now. Um, We had a girl in our youth ministry. She's still in our youth. She's in our church, Um, and no one here knows her that I'm aware of. So I'm telling the story. Um, we had a camp a few years ago, and I had this, we had this girl, she's doing drugs, and I'm like, oh man, this is a problem, so we've dealt with it. She then left our church, which is often what happens, and then I discovered from someone else she was doing drugs at another youth ministry, so I, I rung up that youth pastor, I'm like, hey, do you know this person? He's like, yeah, I think I met her. I'm like, yeah, cool, she's doing drugs in the youth ministry, deal with it. Um, turns out that she ran out of that youth ministry, uh, came back to our church, and uh, un- unchurched background, and uh, this, this leader's in our group and happened to connect with this girl. And this girl is just totally changed in her life and her outlook. And she's leading and she's serving. And I look at this older leader who is just this spiritual giant and mother to this girl. And when she walks into the room, what's crazy is our leaders will notice. And they pull out, we all sit on the floor for some things. They just pull out a chair for her. Uh, when we go into the prayer room, the leaders are like, where's this person going to sit? And I'm thinking, like, why does no one get me a chair? Um, <laughs> she has had such a huge impact on on just a group of our leaders who, when we talk about our crew, only are part of the leadership team because they feel like they belong. That's where we do a lot of our ministry, is that that year 10 to year 12 bracket. And so you might be sitting here going, hang on a second, what's he talking about? I'm talking about you on a Friday night, sometime between 5.30 and 6.30, getting down here and saying, yep, I don't fit in with the teenagers. I realize it's going to be manic. You probably want to put me in the kitchen. Put me where you like. And if you've got that time and if you've got that energy to stay around until about 10 o'clock and are working with Children's Check, got to do the legal stuff, um, just let God do the rest. Because we've got this leader in our ministry, totally the odd one out, powerful, powerful, powerful ministry. And that could be you, if that's what God's God's calling you to. And uh, don't underestimate, when God does something in the youth ministry, the the whole church changes and it begins with us. Pray for us, please. We need it desperately. If you've got time and energy or you know someone, bring them along and let God do the rest. I'm out.
4: Yeah, just to add to that, uh, you don't have to interact with the teenagers if you don't want to, if you want to come and join and help us. We need plenty of help, even just standing on doors, uh, standing around playing games uh, or running games or even just standing on the back of the sound desk. But on top of that, just what Nick said there, that that idea of um, our crew is where we start to get the most traction in our ministry. If they've been coming to Ignite for year seven, year eight, year nine, Towards India Nine, Study at Ten. They get to come onto our crew team if they've been coming regularly. If they get into our crew team, that's generally where they're going to actually end up staying. And and these young adults who carry on further into our church, they usually have come through our crew. Uh, And so this ministry that that older lady is doing currently at the moment uh, is just absolutely vital. Uh, So while our our young adults are ministering to our teenagers, we need adults ministering to our young adults as they're still grasping. I don't know if I am a Christian. We just talked about at least five or six different leaders who are having impacts in our ministry for God, and they still don't know if they're Christians. Now, please don't let that scare you off either. Uh, we say there's a lot of non-Christians in our group. We need more Christians in our group. So if you have kids who are going, I don't know if nights for me or not, please send them because uh, the more Christians we can get around these non-Christians, we can be uh, showing them you can be a teenager and you can be a Christian at the same time. Uh, And that's what we're desperately wanting at the moment, to be able to show these young people uh, you can be a Christian and a teenager. It's not going to ruin your life. So if you can send your young people to our youth ministry to help us to to share the gospel with these people, to get in those discussion groups so that when we're sitting around talking and we've got 10 kids and and we ask the question, what has God done in your life? We don't have nine of them looking back at us going, I don't believe in that God mystery stuff. What are you talking about? We actually have some going, actually, no, God has done this in my life, and those others can hear about it. So that's what we are desperately after. And and like Nick said, praying for us, for the protection of our leaders, because they get attacked week in, week out. This is frontline ministry, and they're getting attacked so much. So pray for our protection. Pray for the salvation of our kids. Uh, These youth are are just in a prime position to hear the gospel message, and, and we are just desperate for them to come to know God. So pray for their salvation and pray for their transformation. It's just more than enough for them to just tick the box and say, yes, I know God. We want to see God do things in their lives. So if you could pray for us as well, that'd be great. Uh, just a point of clarification, when Ben said attack, no one gets physically attacked.
2: Oh, yeah, we're sorry. talking spiritually attacked there. So you know, if you're thinking, God, oh, that'd be a cool thing to do. You don't need to come in body armor. Uh, no one gets physically attacked. Hey, God is building and stirring something in our children's, our youth ministry. It, it, I don't know what it is, but it is building. And now we've got, on average, about 200 kids just under that, that are coming regularly. The majority of whom do not know God and the majority, and all of them hear the gospel. And that is spilling over into some of the other high schools. God is stirring. And my heart, as we listen to the rest of the morning, there's some time to pray. I just want you to let that settle in your hearts because um, there's a responsibility we have to stand with these guys and to help carry the burden of discipling, sharing, protecting, and holding what God has given to us. This is our ministry. So Brian's going to lead us in prayer later on. I'm not going to pray for these guys now. We need to keep moving. But, hey, thank you for sharing. Um, Let that just settle, and we'll continue to think and process that. Pete, over to you.
0: Thank you so much. Why don't we give them a a round of applause as uh, as they jump off. All right, we're going to move into offering uh, and then we're going to go out and have a little break. So let me pray and we'll get the ushers to come forward. Father, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the amazing, amazing things you are doing in the youth ministry. Lord, as we think about that and all the other things that you do in our lives that only you can do, we come this morning with glad hearts, with thankful hearts, and we bring you tithes and offerings. We ask that they be used to further your kingdom, to further sort of Uh, life-changing transforming work that we've just been hearing about thank you father for your blessings in jesus name amen if the ushers would like to come forward we'll take up the offering Just as we're finishing that, I want to mention three things. First of all, we will have a baptism service in a couple of weeks. If you are interested, if you've been thinking about it, let myself, one of the other pastors know. We'd love to talk to you about that and give you an opportunity to be baptized, just like we saw in that uh, video this morning. Uh, The second thing is leadership Discipleship Leaders Night on Tuesday night. If you'd like to come along, we'd love to see you. Tuesday night here at Timber. Uh, And the third thing and we're about to break, is our 24-7 prayer. So a little bit of context for that. We're praying for the 10 days leading into Pentecost. We've started. We go right through to next weekend. Check out the prayer room before you go. It's beautiful. And the other thing, if you're not signed up, we have a great opportunity. As you get coffee, Sarah Burt and Jules Burt will be there with a computer and you can just go to them they will find a slot for you that's convenient and type you in so you can check that out as well but right now why don't we head and grab a quick cup of coffee Uh, i'll ask you to be back in about uh, nine minutes we'll start again at about 10.05 so go and grab a coffee see if we can all get a coffee and a tea all right hey welcome back i hope you've got a nice warm cup of something in your hands Uh, another good reason on a morning like this morning, to have a little break is to get that warm cuppa into your hands. Hey, we've got now. Uh, Graham Watson is going to come up and talk to us about some amazing things that he's doing. Uh, Graham will hand on to uh, Pete Devlin, who will read the Bible for us, and Pete will hand over to Brian. Brian will uh, give us a sermon and close for us. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, don't forget, after the service, we're going to try and replenish the coffee and tea so you can get warm again. Uh, and uh, come down to the Welcome Lounge. If you are a visitor, we'd love to see you and
5: connect with you a little bit more. Graham, can't wait to hear it. Over to you. Thanks, Pete. Um, Thank you for this opportunity to share uh, what I believe is some great stuff that God is doing uh, and that I have the privilege of being a part of. Um, I'm actually really nervous. Uh, I I don't think so much nervous, but just feeling the weight of um, of what I'm about to share. And, And I guess there's a lot of fear, hurt, anger, shame and frustration um, around Indigenous issues and past and future. Um, and, and for me, uh, I think only love, the love that God shows us uh, and, and my hope is that we can share this love with others is what's going to make a significant difference in this, in this situation. Um, so I'm just going to pray if that's okay. Um, Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love our Indigenous brothers and sisters, that uh, you desire wholeness and community. Um, we thank you for the journey that you have us on, and I pray that as, as a church that we'll be able to lead and demonstrate reconciliation and love, unconditional love, like you love us. And just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, to start, uh, I really wanted to... Um, Acknowledge the legacy that has been left to us um, throughout our, the the areas that we work in uh, as part of the foundation. There, we, we always come across people asking, "Do you do you remember Jim and, and Marge Marsh, people who translated Mardu Bible, uh, who were from Mount Pleasant, uh, the Sigginses who worked in Newman for many many years, John and Angela Wilmot who are working with the Mardu people in Newman at the moment, uh, Gavin Douglas." Uh, who left quite recently uh, to be a, a pastor up at Todd Price, who uh, was an amazing person of influence in Bankshire Hill Detention Centre as a chaplain there. So I want to recognise those people, um, and today I, I want to share, I guess, part of my journey and how God has amazingly opened doors for us. Um, also to offer some insights that that I've gathered over my, I guess, seven eight years of of looking at this. And being part of this, um, and also share what, what the foundation is and, and where we feel it's moving to, and to invite you to be a part of it, um, and try to manage a whole heap of things up here that work. Um, this is the the athletics track. Well, I seem to mess that up. Is that up? There we go. Uh, at Yalgoo, Yalgoo is a, a Aboriginal community halfway through between Geraldton and Mount Magnet. Um, and this is where I guess it all started for us. Uh, we went out to... Um, up to Geraldton to work with an Indigenous coach, Jacko, uh, and one of his athletes. She's uh, at the back, kneeling down, helping the kid right near the uh, the Yelgu track sign. Uh, Nikisha. And Nikki was a... is a, a fantastic javelin thrower who started to come down to Perth and I had the opportunity... we had the opportunity of having her stay at, stay at our place. And uh, just to here and to journey with nikki was absolutely amazing i'd never really had friends who are indigenous or or hung out with indigenous people so to start to get insights from her about what it is uh, and the struggles and the highs and lows and and what community and family mean was really really powerful um and uh down the front uh (laughs) this white kid with the short shorts uh is chris punch and um this uh, actually isn't Yalgoo. This is uh, Warburton. Warburton's about 150 k's west of the Northern Territory border, uh, a long way from nowhere, and uh, they're actually on, on South Australian time time zone. And uh, Chris Punch was an is uh, a fantastic athlete. He was national level. Had the privilege of, of coaching him and still coaching him today. Uh, but last year he joined the firefighters, and as a firefighter he got placed remote, so he's out at Kalgoorlie and uh, for about six years, Chris was one of the, the fantastic coaches that would come out with us to remote communities, to schools, and, and run athletics. And uh, when the firefighters discovered that Chris had this background of running remote community athletics programs, they asked if they would go if he'd go out with them uh, each year. Sorry, twice a year they go out to the remote remote communities uh, and run car rescue. Uh, I guess training for the indigenous communities so they can rescue people when they're close, if an accident happens close to them. So they invited Chris out and now Chris is running athletics programs in the remote communities that they go to uh, and then they do fire safety talks on the back of that. So now our Kerry Right Track Foundation has what we call a Goldfields um, Foundation, Right Track Foundation wing to it, uh, led by Chris as he goes out to the remote communities and also uh, looking at linking in with... Ed and Kate, who are are working in Coolgardie, So there's some amazing links that are starting to to kick through with all this. I want to share um, two stories, two people. Um, On the left, there is a very serious-looking young man with a nice moustache. His name's Dylan. Dylan is a fantastic athlete. He loves his footy. He, he came to our, our Geraldton camp that we run annually. a uh, fantastic athlete, but apart from being a fantastic athlete, he is a leader in his community. He um, each every second year we take a group of Carey students and athletes from uh, from remote uh, to the U.S. Uh, track and field summer camp at the University of Oregon. And after I met Dylan, and I saw the way that he focused and he worked, but what really stood out for me was his leadership. There's a load of little rat bag kids in the background who were were quite painful, to be perfectly honest, doing camps. And the aunties would be up on the hill and they would yell out and tell them to behave. But whenever Dylan would come over, they'd all just pull into line and just behave exactly right. Dylan is what all of these kids want to be like. Fantastic footballer, fantastic athlete. And I spoke with Dylan and said, Dylan, really want you to come to Oregon. And he goes, yeah, that would be awesome. And after talking with him, getting it all hyped up, he said, right, where do I send your form to? And he goes, um, what, what do you mean? I said, you've got to fill out a form application. And he goes, oh, okay. Um, can I email it to you? And he goes, no, I don't have email at home. I don't have internet at home. Okay. Well, who do I post it to? And he goes, Oh, post it to, to Northampton Post Office. So I went, here right? Yeah. So we posted it to Northampton. It got to him. And I kept in touch with him. And uh, the time for the forms to be back in, he, he didn't get it in. So I called him and said, well, what's going on? Oh, I just, just need to get birth certificate. I, I don't have my birth certificate. And I said, OK, we'll get that. And there's all these obstacles that Dylan had to do to overcome them. But it got to the point where it's like, man, can you actually come? And he goes, and then I didn't hear from him. He didn't answer. He, he Nothing. And uh, it crushed me because this is the sort of kid that we want to empower. Um, and it was about two years later where I actually found out that it was Dylan's grandma who he lives with. He doesn't live with mum, he lives with grandma. I said, no, 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 you, you, you can't go. And uh, that set Dylan back a bit and, and I guess I struggled with that for a while. Um, this photo on the, on the right is up at Newman. Uh, the little girl in the hole, her name's Bethany, uh, Sweetest kid lovely kid. Uh, her grandma, um, the white-haired lovely lady at the back, uh, this was when Brenda and I went up two years ago uh, out to Newman. She was teaching us to collect honey ants, and their honey ants up the top. Um, incredible, really sweet, really nice, really weird. But um, just to spend time with Bethany and her grandma, uh, learning to collect honey ants was absolutely incredible. I don't know why Bethany wasn't at school that day. It was a school day, but Bethany wasn't there, um, and there's a lot of issues that are kicking around. Bethany's grandma, uh, sorry, mum, struggles with alcoholism. Uh, she lives with her grandma, and it's a common theme that I pick up again and again and again as I link in with with uh, different communities. And as I've, I guess, journeyed and and looked at um, the the issues with Indigenous people, they. There's just all these statistics and newspaper paper reports again and again and again. And indigenous kids, 53 times more likely to end up in prison or juvie than, than my kids. Um, the suicide rates, there is an epidemic of suicide rates at the moment. If we look at really simple statistics, uh, death statistics, um, this is, uh, sorry, the one on the right, that's that's a typical Australian graph of, of deaths. This is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to live to eighty five. I'm expecting that uh, there'll be very low infant mortality, very low accidents happen, but that's what I'm expecting. But the one on the on the left, the indigenous graph, this is third world. This is third world. And I look at it and it's it balloons really early out with heart disease with cancers with these sort of things the point that really terrifies me is down at the 15 to 19 year old where we have these healthy active kids who are dying due to suicide due to drugs alcohol accidents and it breaks my heart and we look at all these statistics and uh, there's something not right we live in this world and we see two very separate Separate statistics kicking through, and uh, I guess when we look at the history, um, and this is a history that wasn't taught to me at school, but this is our history as a, part of our history as Australians, um, and I guess these statistics tell a, a deeper story of hopelessness and helplessness, and uh, the statistics, yeah, this this past like fifty thousand years. The Indigenous people have been here, the, this longest surviving culture, but one that has been marred over the last 200 years. Pre-colonisation, 700, uh, sorry, quarter, three quarters of a million Indigenous people, 500 nations, incredible, incredible people groups. In 19, uh, sorry, 1788 to 1900, 90% of the Indigenous community population was wiped out. Um, settlers taking land, disease and direct violence. Um, during the mid-80s, Australia government, white government, had a period of protection where for their own good we put them into institutions. We took their land off them um, to help them survive. Right up until the 1960s, that bit of paper on the on the right, um, we... Uh, during a process of, of what we called assimilation, a uniform, single culture, white culture, was forced upon the Indigenous people where they were not allowed to speak language, practice customs, uh, do ceremonies. They were to become white. And this, I guess, was mainly aimed at children because they were more adaptable. And during the 19... Sorry, 1910 to 1970s, this is the Stolen Generation... And as I unpack this and learn this, it makes sense to me now why Dylan's grandma wouldn't let him come to the US. She was part of that stolen generation. The idea of letting her boy, her grandchild, come with us raised up all these emotions. And even though she had met us and knew us, there's all these emotions linked with all this. During the 1960s, I guess we came to our awareness and went, that what we've done is wrong and a a process of self-determination, of uh, letting indigenous people control their lives. uh, But the damage has been done. The loss of of culture, of language, of tradition, uh, the disempowerment of their elders, of uh, the complexities around trying to run a a family, a community with this sort of background. And uh, today... Many communities struggle and many can't manage, even though there's money thrown at them, but that money tragically is used for for drugs, for alcohol, for other things. And uh, I guess as I look at this, um, there's there's these things that we look at today um, and we see these statistics coming through. And my hope and prayer is that as a church, not just Kerry, but as a wider church, we can help, we can step in, we can do things to make a change. I want to show you a quick little video of, of, a, of a mate of mine, uh, one of our partners in Mekathara called Rob. Uh, he's an Indigenous elder in his community, uh, someone we started partnering up with over the past 12 months. Uh, he refers initially to a, a guy... Um, a guy he met through Facebook, uh, that's John Wilmot, uh, who put up a post about suicide and and things like that. Um, and John Wilmot introduced Rob to us and a great cultural, uh, advocate for us. So I'll just play this little video through.
6: Because I remember growing up thinking what I do. Because I remember growing up thinking, uh, I don't, I don't want any, any other kids to feel the, sometimes the way I felt, you know, um, uh, feelings of abandonment and, you know, which which young people go through. Um, sometimes we don't realise that uh, people can show a, a happy exterior but be absolutely devastated inside. You get uh, problems like sniffing or problems like, uh, you know, drug and alcohol abuse or uh, any anything that harms the body and mind, I suppose. Um, and then back up through to Megathara, I, I wanted to work with the youth up there because they... To me, that they're my people. They're my my, you know, where I come from, the roots of, of who I am, probably.
5: And um, so that's Rob talking about his community and the kids that he works with. Um, what do we do as a as a foundation? Um, well, there's a whole heap of programs we run. We we go to do remote school clinics. We go in August um, and and go up to uh, Nullagine Uh That's where we're looking at heading this year. But Mika Thara Yalgoo. Mount Magnet, uh, and then a whole school load of schools around Geraldton. Uh, we run athletics camp. Uh, this year, we're really excited to partner with Rob uh, and running a camp out at Carolundi. Me- at Carolundi is an Indigenous sporting school, about 50 ks out of Mekathara, um, and to really work with his kids, get him working with his kids, bringing them in during the school holidays. Uh, we run coaching courses, education courses for remote communities. As I said, we do the USA track and field camp. Um... The Bankshire Hill Detention Centre, five minutes down the road, is a a tragic place. 80% Indigenous population in there. You walk in and that is the highest density of Indigenous uh, boys I've seen in one place other than in the communities themselves. Um, So we go and we do athletics programs. We run mentoring uh, in there and and it's awesome. We've managed to uh, partner with a guy called Kenzie Dan who used to lead the AIM program through Murdoch University. Uh, so he's joined us and we're going in doing that. Um, but we've, uh, over the past two years, through through Gavin, he invited us to go and run a, a church service in there. Um, I'd love to see the church service in there seen as the fourth service of Kerry, uh the third location. I think that would be awesome if we can get that prayer and that that support through that. Uh, Andy Phil, if you know Andy, he leads it up. Um, and uh, Ian Jackson, Jules, and myself go in and, and run this service. It's an incredible place. You never know what's going to happen. Um, we uh, Last week, we were in there. We rocked up. The girls had been in lockdown, so we went into their wing. Uh, they'd just been let out. So they were cooking breakfast while we sang some songs and uh, did church in there. Uh, and then we go across to the library, and all the boys, they're, they're invited to come along. Um, it's, it's incredible. We had... Uh, eight boys come and they sit and they listen. They sit and they listen. They're better than my class that I teach here. Uh, they just absorb. When we share the parable of the prodigal son, they identify. They know they're the not good in us. They know they're the rebellious kids. Um, but they just know that that where they're going isn't right. Um, it's an absolute honour. We went in at Easter time. And uh, it was a privilege to sit down with the girls and open up the Easter story and read that through, through with them and just ask them what they think about it. Uh, we went across to the library to do service with the boys. Um, the boys, none of them came because uh, there was an Easter egg hunt on. So the wreck officer had led this Easter egg hunt, so we thought, hey, let's go do the Easter egg hunt. So we went out and hung out with the wreck officer and the boys and... Um, so, you never know what you're going to get, but it's a privilege to be able to go in and to, to journey through it with them. Um, let's keep moving. I know time is ticking way too fast at the moment. What I wanted to um, do is be able to turn my page with one hand. There we go. Um, is I guess share, let Rob explain uh, from his perspective what, how, we're, how we're helping him
6: met a really nice guy, um, uh, through Facebook of all places, um, uh, posted a video that, um, I connected with straight away. It was about, um, mental health and, and suicide awareness. I, I met Graham. Graham actually, actually called me and said, you know, I'm from the, the Kerry Right Track Foundation and, um, you know, uh, we made contact there and, uh, I bought, I bought my nephew down and we, we both came and got our, our coaching certificates uh, or entry- entry-level coaching series so um and just spending the, that two days with with Graham was it was awesome and you know uh, he didn't talk me into anything I wanted to do it so um yeah he's uh he's been a bit of a blessing really um, and especially with the with the program that he's he's working with me to try and get uh, up and running in megathera um, I think it's going to be great for the not not just for the athletics. I think um, bringing the community together, bringing um, bringing some awareness to our, our kids in the way of having strong bodies, strong body equals strong mind. You know, and and finding that way to move forward because we we all know that Indigenous kids love their sport. They love football. They love to run. You don't. They'll run without a ball in their hand. You know. It's um uh, as we all know that that that's the way and. Um, I think this program is, is uh, a natural way forward for, for our kids.
5: Um, I guess the big change that's happened for us uh, this, over the past 12 months is we've been going up and running programs and uh, I guess serving and getting to know in good relationships. But um, over the past 12 months, it, what we started to do is to stop talking and start listening. Um, to sit down, to get our butts red in the red dirt and to start to ask the question, how can we serve you? Uh, what do you need from us? What can we do to help you and your community? Uh, Angela Wilmot calls that the Māori way, to sit down, to engage with the leaders and ask how we can do it. Um, and uh, our, our whole focus isn't to go in and be the experts anymore. It's, it's to empower leaders like Rob in his community to help his community and his kids. Uh, to be a conduit, to be a link between organisations such as Athletics WA and Athletics Australia, uh, in running coaching courses and linking in with the Athletics and the Outback program. Um, but for me, what it comes down to is to learn, not to know about the issues, but to love people, to to build relationship, to get into people's lives. To uh, ha- when when Rob comes down, he stays in my place. We don't put him in a hotel. He stays in my place. Uh, so that I can get to know him and he can get to know me. Um, and uh, just to, to rub shoulders and, and build community and relationship. Um, and this is what it's about for me. Bethany, the little girl I talked about before, uh, last year I, I had the privilege of going to the uh, the Mardu Easter Convention out at Nalangayn. And Bethany was there, and she was running around. I didn't even recognise her because she had bleached her hair in the meantime. Um, but Angela brought her over and, and introduced us and said, oh, here's Bethany. I said, awesome. Um, I've got a letter from my girl. Bethany and Sarai, our oldest, they're both the same age. And uh, so for me, now they're, they're pen pals. I think it's Sarai's turn to write because it's been a little while. No, it's probably Bethany's, but Sarai will write. Um, because things aren't right. For for me, for us, we're expecting Sarah to graduate high school. We're expecting that if she wants to and go that way, she'll go to university. Um, expecting that she's going to live old, that she'll outlive us. That that. But for Bethany, the statistics don't show that. The statistics paint a very different story. And for me, that's that's not right. That's not okay. For me. Um, I want Bethany to have the same opportunities that Sarai's got. Just because she's born in a different culture with different parents, she should have the same opportunities like Dylan should, like all these kids should. Um, so Sarai and Bethany are pen pals. I think it's important that Sarai knows Bethany, not just at a statistics or a distant person, but as a, as a friend. Um, and that's that's sort of where we are. Um, and it doesn't come down to being super special or having great skills. It, it just simply comes down to caring, to, to sharing, to, to loving um, others in the same way God loves us. Whoops. See if I can turn the page again. Um, there's a TV show called Warriors. It's about a footy team. And uh, not saying you should watch it, there's a bit of language in it. But. There was this uh, episode two weeks ago uh, where there was this racial slurring going on on the footy field and uh, the footy team didn't handle it well. But I just want to show you this clip where one of the instigators of this racial uh, abuse um, meets uh, one of the guys who was copying it on the footy field on the beach. Um, So I'll just play this through. Got something to say? Didn't
2: think so. My name is Zane Phillips.
7: And I'm an Aboriginal man. I'm a Kulin man. Mackie, the one that you called a monkey, is a Gidja man. You are standing on our land. And if anyone should go back to where they came from, it's you.
0: You finished?
6: And two, Bill. Eh? You drop them all down to the reserves.
7: One in, all in.
5: I just love the idea of getting in behind and backing them up, um, to be able to encourage them, the Indigenous people, to be who they are, to be able to show their culture uh, and for us to celebrate it with them. Um, this is National Reconciliation Week. And uh, as I, as many of my friends, Indigenous friends on Facebook, start to, to talk about this, for, for me it's come to the point where... Um, It's not an admission of personal guilt. Those atrocities in the background, I wasn't alive for. Uh, I wasn't part of. But it's recognising the hurt and the pain of the past. I think that is deeply significant in terms of moving on. Uh, You can't have a a personal relationship that's moving forward that is healthy if we haven't recognised the past. But then it's moving forward to to reconcile relationship, to, to bring people together to bring communities together to bring a nation together and uh it's being able to understand and accept and move forward as as brothers and sisters as friends as um as people and this came through on my facebook and i thought it was intriguing uh and it deeply challenged me to understand that jesus was an indigenous middle eastern palestinian jew 2000 years ago under a foreign occupation and i think about it and i don't know maybe i'll get in trouble for this but if jesus was born in australia today he'd probably be an indigenous guy out in the middle of nowhere loving and serving his community looking after the the outcasts the the misfits and for me so should we we should as jesus taught be in the prisons visiting those in hospital looking after those who are sick looking after the ones who can't look after themselves and my hope my prayer is that by building deep relationships and athletics is just a tool to build deep relationships by building deep relationships we can introduce them to jesus we can have casual conversations that leads to serious conversations that leads to spiritual conversations Aristotle said, where the needs of the world and your talents cross, there lies your vocation. Um, Christine Kane, Um, I love what she says because I think this describes what we're doing pretty well. God takes highly unlikely people, like myself, takes them to highly unlikely places and gives them highly unlikely strategies. The idea of using athletics is just weird and gives them highly unlikely outcomes. And as I, I guess I reflect um, on on the foundation's needs, uh, we need prayer. We, we are going into very spiritual places. We're very spiritual people. Um, so prayer for protection, um, prayer for, for wisdom and, and insight. Uh, last year, we had two plans to go to two communities, but felt like, Actually, now is not the time and this is not the place. Um, volunteers. Um, I have a certain skill set and I'm not good at a lot of things. And I think at the moment the foundation and its, its spread is limited by me. We have great volunteers who come in and run the athletics. Uh, incredibly talented, gifted young people. Um, but we need people at a strategic level. We need people who understand finance, people who understand uh, board stuff, which I don't. And uh, I desperately need mentoring in that. I desperately need people to come alongside. Uh, We have um, a secretary position available on our board for anyone who likes writing minutes. Um, Funding, foundation, that sort of stuff. Um, But finances, to be able to go further... To be able to go up to Newman is $500 in airfares. Um, But to be able to do that is what we need to build relationships to get that face-to-face contact. Uh, I think I've gone way over time. My apologies. I'm handing over to Brian. That's a change. Good. Glad I checked. Thanks, Brian.
1: Thanks, Graham. Hey, listen. Today has been a, a slightly different kind of a day. We've been wanting to hear what God is doing in our own church. Um, I was going to be bring a sermon at this point in time and preach. Uh, I think we've probably gone a little bit too far for that. So we we kind of meant to be finishing right now, and that's not a good place to kind of be starting a sermon when everyone thinks. But the service is already supposed to be finished. So, so maybe rather than doing that, I'll just give you an incredibly short summary of what, what I was going to say, because it links in, in some ways amazingly well with what's been said said already. Uh, I was going to ask the, this question. We are doing, doing a series on the Holy Spirit, and I was going to ask this question, how do you know uh, where the Spirit is at work? How do you know if something is from the Spirit? And I was going to say, well, you know the Spirit is at work when you're in a community where Jesus is Lord, when you're in a community where mission is central, where prayer undergirds everything, uh, where there's unity, where the spiritual gifts operate, where lives are changed, and I was going to unpack those kind of ideas and to say and, and to ask this question: So, so Carrie, is this actually happening for us? Are are we really a community where Jesus is Lord? Because uh, one Corinthians 12 verse three says, you know, it's impossible to say that Jesus is Lord." except through the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkable verse. You cannot say, Jesus is Lord, writes Paul, unless the Spirit lets you do that. Now, now you may say, sorry, Paul, technically you're wrong. I mean, you can be a non-Christian and you can say the words, Jesus is Lord. But that's to misunderstand. I mean, in the Bible, to say something means that there's power behind what you're saying. So when Paul writes, you can't say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit gives that to you. He's saying, you can't live Jesus is Lord on your own. You just can't do that. It's just not possible. It's just not possible to live under the guidance of God unless the Holy Spirit somehow comes in and empowers you to do that. Empowers you to view your life with a kind of openness, with flexibility, uh, with a provisionality about everything that you do. James uh, 4 verse 5 says that uh, we are to go into life never saying that we're going to do this or that or the other thing, but to rather preface that by saying, if God wills, we will do this, that, or the other. You might know that in the past, people used to write down this little expression, you know, uh, I will do this, that, or the other, dv, deo Valento, it it, it meant in in the Latin. Uh, My mother-in-law, who turns a hundred in a few weeks' time, uh, you know, she comes from the era where wherever she writes a letter, she writes, you know, I will be I will be seeing my friend eighty tomorrow. DV, or I will be, you know, going to visit someone tomorrow. DV, you know, if God allows it. In fact, I guess she would even say to me when I said we'll be celebrating her hundredth birthday in a few weeks' time, she would say, "Remember, Brian, it's DV if God wills it." You know, I'm not there yet. You don't actually know, but 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 when you live, Jesus' Lord, you you genuinely live with that sense. DV, if God wills it, if God allows it. I'm not the one in charge of my life. I don't make all my own plans. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, and that happens somehow when the Spirit comes upon a, upon us and upon a community and says, live in a different kind of a way. Live with Jesus being Lord. Live with the openness of what it could mean if actually we listen to Jesus' leading and his guidance at every point. Not, not today. We have heard stories. We've heard stories of youth. And, and didn't you find them inspiring? I mean, those pictures of baptisms, and then we heard the stories of people. And I've heard lots of those stories. I've been around here for a little while now. And some of those stories are even more dramatic. I've heard stories of kids who were literally suicidal, and at the point of committing suicide, and somehow through what's been said here, have come to know Jesus. That's the Spirit at work. That's the Spirit changing people. And we are seeing God doing something, and, and, and that's extraordinarily exciting, and and I'm so excited about what, what, what's been done through Right Track because, as Graham has said, it's, it's hauntingly sad, this heritage which we have of broken relationships and relationships with an indigenous community that are just not right and not fair. And we don't know the way forward, but God is doing something and God is opening doors for us. And we need to walk into those doors. We need to walk through them. And we need to walk with the confidence that God will help us to do what we've been called to do. We can't do it unless Jesus is Lord, unless unless the Spirit helps us to live out Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so I guess that the real hope from the service today is that as you've sat here in this extraordinary cold, and uh, believe me, I felt just as cold as as, as you have, and I can see some of you kind of look as though you're mildly blue, Uh, You you, you know, as we've we've sat here in this cold today, I hope that at another level, your heart has been strangely warmed because God is actually doing some extraordinary things. But I hope that it's not just the kind of encouragement you get as a spectator, Uh, you know, as someone who sits in the stands and you... You, 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 you support your team, and whether you're a Dockers or an Eagles or whatever kind of a force support or whatever it is that you support, you, you sit in the stands, and sometimes they do well, and you, you feel good. And, and, and so maybe today you, you, you sat here and you've, you feel good because actually some good things are happening here. I hope it's not like that. I hope that it's quite at another level, that at the deepest level of your being, you'd say, actually, this is a spirit-created community and a community that I'm invited to be part of, a community to which I belong. And so because Jesus is Lord, I need to, in fact, look into my own life and to say, and Jesus, because you Lord, you know, I was planning to do that and to do that and to do that. But, you know, all that has to be DV, has to be God willing. And it could be that actually if I have loose hands, open hands, that God will be saying, drop what you're planning to do, just drop it and do this instead. And that could be anything from as simple as helping a youth ministry to completely reorganizing your life and your priorities to live in a completely different kind of a way. Because when Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, the Spirit comes inside of us and gives us the ability to live quite differently. So today, today has been a day about hearing, hearing about some of the incredible things that God is doing Some journeys that are just starting, Right Track has not been going all that long, and already there have been great contacts, but, uh, hey, there's a story still to be written there. We've heard some great stories. Could be that your name is meant to be next to some of them, and it could be that part of our closing time together needs to be just to ask God, hey, am I somehow supposed to be caught up in this story? And if not, which story am I supposed to be caught up in? Because this is the remarkable thing, when the Spirit is at work, somehow everyone gets caught up, everyone gets involved, everyone gets changed, and oh, the difference it makes. Oh, the difference it makes. We're going to close now, but we're going to close by praying together. I'm going to suggest that we do something that we, I mean, it's really a very normal thing for church to do, but... Believe it or not, we don't do this very often. I'm going to suggest that we close by praying together. And uh, jump onto your feet, which, now, now that shouldn't be too hard. I mean, once you stop it's, uh, kind of covering. And and just kind of form little groups of four or five. Now, I know that some of you, you, you you're not used to praying together, and, and I respect that. And But I'm going to invite you just to, in your group, just just pray. Pray for some of these ministries we've heard about Pray that God would help you to find your own place in the ministries. God is, is, is calling you calling you to us to. Just pray for one another. And then in a matter of minutes, I'll pray over us all and just commend us to God. And then we'll go and can have some fellowship together over over morning tea. So if your if your group is a group of people who like you really don't usually pray together and you don't know how to do it, and it just stands there in silence, God will hear the silence and that's fine. But why not just take a little bit of courage, pray out loud in your group of five and just pray. Pray for the ministries you've heard about. Pray for the ministry that God might be calling you to. I'll give you some time to pray now. We can just close off those groups, and I'll pray for us all. So, Lord, we thank you that we've been able to gather today. Thank you that we've heard stories—stories stories of your Spirit at work—and we're so excited and we're so blessed to be part of a community where you're working. Lord, we have listened, and we've been excited, and we've been encouraged. We realise that there's still so much to be done. We we think of the work of Right Track Foundation. We we bless you for Graham, and we bless you for, for the work being done there. We think particularly of the, the ministry in the banks here at prison and uh, the services which are held there, and Lord, we recognize the backdrop to that is just such extraordinary pain and brokenness. We feel overwhelmed, and we're not sure what we can do. We we thank you that sometimes we're able to reach out to kids and to help them to become the athletes that they can become, and we thank you for the way in which that opens windows in the world them. Long that they too would find you and find the hopefulness that you bring. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the youth ministry here. Thank you for the 200 kids that gather here on a Friday night. So many of them know almost nothing about you and yet come to find you. We thank you. We bless you for them. We pray for Nick. We pray for Ben. We pray for all the leaders. Thank you, Lord, that this ministry is taking place. Lord, we thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, that it is a spirit created community. Thank you that you are working in our midst. Lord, some of us. Some of us know what is written against our name, and we thank you that we've heard from you. Others of us, Lord, we we don't know. We we hear, and we just wonder if you actually have something for us. We pray that we would respond to the prompting of your Spirit. We pray that we would be open to you. We pray that when you call us, that we would be faithful. And whether that be through a ministry here at Kerry or whether that be in our workplace or whether that be in our neighborhood or whether that be in our home or wherever it be, Lord Jesus, you are Lord, you are Lord. We cannot say that in the sense that we live that unless your Spirit helps us to do that. And so, O oh Spirit, the one who gives us power, we pray that you would so empower us to live out Jesus is Lord even in this coming week. And we pray that for the glory of your name. Amen. It's been absolutely fantastic that you've been here today. Don't run away. You've heard some stories about what's happening here. Talk a little bit more about them. Find out whether your name's linked to one of them. There's still some tea and coffee. Uh, Pick up your kids just in a couple of minutes' time. uh, And thank you for being here for this slightly different service today. Bless you all.